continuing then in our series on Deuteronomy, let's pray and we'll get started. Jesus, thank you so much for this afternoon. Thank you for the body of Christ that is here, that is um, present. And help us, Jesus, turn our hearts to you as we worship you through the study of your text and your word during this time. May it be a blessing to ourselves and to those around us and to the world in which we live and strive to share your love. We ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, so for those of you who weren't with us last week or were with us last week but were asleep, um, we last week were talking about this little passage in Deuteronomy called You Saw No Form was the title of last week's message that, that God reminds the Israelites that as they gathered at the base of Mount Sinai, they saw no form and they were not there to be able, they heard a voice and we talked about how our faith comes by hearing but not by seeing. Even though they saw miraculous things, they didn't see God take on form. And then we talked about how maybe this is also in response to making sure they don't take the habits of Egypt with them as they go into the new land that God's promised. They don't continue to keep up idols, which the Bible several times will call gelulim, which is translated dung balls um, from the, uh, see if you missed last week, now you're interested. Um, but it, it's essentially that a word for idol, which is that this is what, when we fashion things out of stone and wood, this is what we're making. And this was one of the Egyptian gods was the, the dung beetle god. And so that, um, we kind of talked through all that. Got it? So at the end and conclusion of that little section in Deuteronomy 4, Moses says, so be careful not to forget the covenant that the Lord your God made with you and not to make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything that the Lord your God had forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a devouring fire, a jealous God. That was setting up now to our next verse here in Deuteronomy. And I just want to do one disclaimer. We will not go through Deuteronomy verse by verse because we do have places to be in about three years. But, um, but today we are going to grab the next verse just from that last section. So Moses continues addressing the crowd on the east side of the Jordan from Mount Nebo. Um, as this generation is going into the promised land, not the generation that stood at Mount Sinai. Um, because that generation had to die in the wilderness um, because of disobedience. But this next generation going on in. And Moses continues his discourse and he says, When you have had children and children's children and become complacent in the land... If you act corruptly by making an idol in the form of anything, thus doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call on heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you shall soon perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You shall not long endure in it, but shall ultimately be utterly wiped out, but shall be utterly wiped out. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a scant few of you shall be left among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve man-made gods of wood and stone that cannot see or hear or eat or smell. And Moses stops there for a moment, and you have to think to yourselves, like, what is he doing, right? This is the worst the worst pep talk you've ever heard in your life. This is the worst. So I'm just letting you know, you're going to go into the land. You're going to forget. 
You're going to become comfortable. You're going to become complacent. Your children's children. You'll be all of this. A generation that was there to witness it will be gone. And all of this means that, you know, I've told you not to worship these idols. God has clearly told you this. We've recalled the events at Mount Sinai. But you're going to go into the land that you are going to go and possess. And you will then disobey. And you will be utterly wiped out and scattered. And then you will go worship the no gods. Which you have to be like, Moses is really like... A downer, worst pep talk ever as we're getting ready to cross into the land and, and take, take into this land, cross the river and go into the land. So essentially what Moses is saying to Israel is that if Israel worships idols, it's going to be left with then only wood and stone. If Israel ignores what it saw and heard at Mount Sinai, it will worship objects that cannot see or hear. The consequences of disobedience are the precise opposite of God's promises. Everything God has promised the people, everything God has promised in covenant with Israel will go away if they disobey on how, on whether or not they're going to worship an idol. They will not possess the land, but instead they'll be exiled. They will not be numerous, but instead they'll be few. They will not be together as a group, but instead they'll be scattered. They will not be worshiping the one true God, but instead will be worshiping idols of stone and wood. They will get what they deserve. Just punishments, measure for measure. The very thing that they are going to do against God is what then they will get. And the rabbis noticed this as a primary theme throughout scripture. They call it midah keneged midah, measure corresponding to equal, equal measure. For those of you who have um, talked about Ezer Konegdo from Genesis, where the f- woman is created as an equal partner to Konegdo, equal, co- equal or corresponding to the man, a help equal or corresponding to the man. The same Konegdo word is used here. And this is what the rabbis talked about, that measure for measure, we are seeing that God is going to give Israel what they deserve. Measure for measure. That it gets weighed out. That if you did this, then God will give you this. If you're going to say you're going to not worship the God that brought you out of Egypt, instead you're going to create a form and you're going to worship a God that cannot see, that cannot hear, then you will then get that reward of being separated from the land that God has called you to and of being separated from the God who has called you to worship him. That phrasing, measure for measure, shows up in Jesus' teachings. Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge, Jesus says, so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. This rabbinic technique of reading through the the scriptures, the text, and sort of noticing measure for measure, we get what we get as a result of our action, is something the rabbis noticed over and over and over again as they looked through the text. We see that in the story of Isaac and Jacob. We see that as Jacob confused and deceived his father Isaac by clothing himself in the garment of his brother, that then Jacob later on will be deceived by his sons because they take on and show a bloodied garment of their brother, Joseph, after they sold him into slavery. We see that then as as Israel goes into Egypt and has been then horribly kept in captivity for 400 years, that when Pharaoh makes the decree that all of the Hebrew baby boys shall be dropped into the Nile and killed there, 
we might sit there as Israelites in that time and think, has God not noticed? Has God not noticed that the, is, that the Egyptians are destroying our Hebrew boys, our sons? Has God not noticed? But God does notice, and the first plague that Israel, that Egypt gets, the first plague Egypt gets is that the Nile is turned to blood. Measure for measure. You drowned my sons in this water. I did not forget their blood. Measure for measure now, I will see the blood of the Nile. You remember this too, that even God will remind us that you shall not say, Exodus chapter 22, you shall not abuse any widow or orphan God commands. And if you abuse them, then when they call out to me, I will surely hear their cry. My wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children orphans. If you abuse the widow and the orphan, God says, then I will give you widows and orphans of your own. A measure for measure. So all throughout the Bible, we can kind of see these types of ways where we look at things. It might even be eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Yes? Measure for measure. Um, Remember that God says to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son, and you must let my firstborn son go. And if you do not, then I will take your firstborn son. And that last plague is the death of the firstborn son, measure for measure. We talked about Samson last week. We talked about Samson, you know, having, seeing what's right in his eyes when he sees the Philistine woman and Delilah. And so ultimately measure for measure as his eyes are the things that deceived him and led him to that chaos, then his eyes are taken from him. Measure for measure, he did what was right in his own eyes, then his eyes are taken from him. We call this karma, don't we? In our common vernacular today, not many of us go around and say, well, you know, measure for measure. Um, So, but that is the same type of idea, right? Well, it's karma. What you give, you get. You know, if you're mean to somebody, they're going to be mean back. Or, well, it worked out well because I let that person in in traffic today. And then later on, this good thing happened, right? We all try to connect events in our world that make the world try to make some sense. And it gives us a God we can control, we think, right? I did it right. And so therefore, I will get this good thing. Or that wicked person did that bad thing, therefore that wicked person will get in trouble. But isn't it true that it doesn't really work that way? I mean, over and over and over again, we think, well, if God is really interested in karma or in just desserts or in poetic justice, then God is doing a terrible job. Because it's the people who are following God, who are trying to obey God. We're the ones that put that weird matrix onto ourselves. I remember years ago counseling somebody who said to me, well, you know, I just feel really bad because I didn't get this job that I really wanted. And I thought that I was going to get it. But then when I was praying, I realized that I'd kissed a boy a little too much that week. And so then I thought that was probably why I didn't get the job. And God was trying to get my attention. It's like, okay, if God works that way, he's doing a terrible job. Because there are horrible people out there doing horrible, terrible things who persist in doing horrible and terrible things. And no one seems to get in their way. The powerful, the wicked, the evil, the corrupt, where we see over and over and over again, the marginalized and those who are on the abused, those who are minimalized in our societies are harmed. And it seems that the wicked just prosper. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes will rail against this. The psalmist will say, why are the wicked prospering and the good are not? 
So when that happens, then we look at this thing and we're going, you know what? I liked that whole measure for measure thing I kind of observed in the Bible. I see that it's there. And so I feel like God has not really paid attention to the fact that those people are wicked. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Anybody? And I'm going to start to make sure that they get what they deserve. And we get really mad, don't we? And we think about things. We get a little conspiracy theory. We try to, my best moment when I was growing up, my sister used to bite me all the time. We were little. It wasn't last year. Um, And so she's younger and she would bite me and she would never get in trouble, right? So I got super mad. So I hid into my parents' office. I crawled under the desk and I bit my own arm (laughs) for like five minutes so as to leave proof of the bite because she never got in trouble. Like I wanted justice, right? So I don't know if you know this, but like a four-year-old's bite mark looks distinctly different than a two-year-old's bite mark. Um, yeah, so revenge was not mine that day. Uh, my mom noticed right away. She's like, why'd you bite your own arm? I'm like, oh, I wanted her to get in trouble, right? Like I like took justice into my own hand. She's never getting in trouble. And we can feel like, well, at least God, at least on the day they stand before their maker and their creator, they're going to get it then, right? Don't we kind of like hold out for that ultimate portion of, I, I do. You can all pretend you're cool, but I am angry at a few people. No one in this room, but others just outside the room. And so that, you know, those moments where I'm like, well, okay, I know I'm supposed to just pray for them and I want to be more like Jesus. So then I don't do the thing or I don't, but I'm, stuck with it because I feel like it's not just. And so then I try to plot some revenge or work. And then I think, well, God will hold it. Like God will take care of this, that someday I'll stand before Jesus and I'll be, get like an atta girl and they're going to get a no, no. Right. So that'll be like, that'll be great. But then in Leviticus 19, it says things like this. When the foreigner resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the foreigner. The foreigner who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the foreigner as yourself, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, wouldn't you think if this was a measure for measure, God would say, do you remember what those Egyptians did to you? Do you remember how they enslaved you and they treated you terribly for 400 years? So if any of those people come and live amongst you, you do that back. But God doesn't say that. God instead says, remember that terrible thing that happened to you. That should change your heart and spur in you some compassion and some care and some concern so that no one else has to go through what you went through. God calls on us very early to be merciful, to not participate in this measure for measure thing, though we do see it in our text. Romans 12 pushes it further. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm talking about, right? For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's a weird passage, isn't it? You're like, okay, so I'm loving the enemy, but ultimately that's somehow going to be burning coal-ish, which sounds not 
pleasant. Um, I don't want that to happen to me. And then ultimately, I'm not supposed to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So the whole measure by measure thing is kicked out in this. I'm supposed to let the Lord handle it. I'm supposed to love the people that are very difficult in my life. And somehow that's going to get me burning coals, which will, is that satisfying? Well, that burning coal thing, one possible interpretation is that burning coals are the presence and the sign of God in the temple. So by loving your enemy, by doing good for those who are harming you, you are bringing the presence of God to that person. And now we are starting to see change in that person's life rather than just punishment. So does midah, keneged midah apply today? Do these measures corresponding to one another apply? And how then do we apply it? And what does it mean for us today? And and what do we do when we see it in the text, which we do clearly see it in this passage in Deuteronomy 4? Well, ultimately, I like to just stop and say, let's not get it twisted. We're not God, and we're all in God's hands. All of us stand on equal footing before the creator and the maker of this world. So it is not ours to consider anyway. How do I get even? How do I make sure that that's even? How can I make sure that that's poetic justice and that that person really gets what's coming to them? But ultimately, what we do see in the text is that measure for measure does apply a little bit for those of us who are followers of God, who are followers of Jesus. That instead of linking punishment to sin, measure for measure, we should link our response to the grace God has shown us, measure for measure. We are called to heap mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace, forgiveness upon forgiveness, and love upon love. That is the measure for measure that Jesus calls us to. Not corresponding bad behavior with a punishment, but corresponding the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness that you and I have been given that we have already been shown, that we have already experienced, measuring that, that Jesus has given us back to everyone we meet. Measure for measure. The grace that we have received. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus is recorded again saying this passage, this, this saying of measure for measure. And he says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Measure for measure. And we can read this and say, ah, so maybe that's talking about my relationship with God, or maybe it's talking about the the end days, and so I don't want to be judgy towards this person because I might be called to account for that later on. But maybe it's practical. So in my own life, this was my experience years ago at a workplace, not associated with anyone in this room, okay? Don't try to do any math. This was a long time ago. There was a person in the office where I worked that was scary. Does anybody have, like, you just didn't want to ask this person what time of day it was because you weren't sure what might happen. And yet this person sort of held the keys to the kingdom, right? So you needed the person to like you, but you also, and you needed things from the person, but you just didn't know whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday, what you were going to get back. And 
I did not like this person. I swear to God, <laughs> just in love. Like, so I tried really hard to be super sweet because my mom taught me to kiss up early on. So I totally would just be like, oh, I love your hair or what a cute outfit and try to like, may I borrow a pencil? No. Okay. Right. So you just never could figure out how to do it. But I tried so hard, but in my heart, I did not like this person, but I am very good at acting. Not now anymore. Everything that you see is very authentic, but years ago I was good at pretending that I really liked somebody. And so I thought I had covered this up quite well, right? Until one day I felt a little bit convicted about it. And I started to pray for this person. Not like one of those, like, dear Jesus, (laughs) I am so awesome have mercy on me, not like the publican and, and the Pharisee, not the tax collector, right? Not, not Luke 18. I didn't do it that way. I sincerely started to pray for them and pray for my interactions with them. And then I started to ask God to give me compassion for that person and to break my heart a little bit for that person. And you know what happened? Even though our exchanges never changed, they started being nice to me. Now, Honestly, I did not, I was still good at pretending because I was just as shocked as you are that this person, again, no one in this room, started being nice to me at that moment and then persisted in being an advocate for me over and over again. And I started feeling really convicted that maybe this verse was not about me being judged lightly in front of God, like that Jesus somehow was going to judge me the same way I was judging somebody else. And so that's why I wanted to do it was to avoid some other punishment. But maybe it was that what I was putting out towards this person, I was getting back. And that was just the reality of what was happening. I couldn't hide it. This person was mean to everybody, so it wasn't just me. But I started feeling convicted. And I think now how I view this verse is more through the lens of the verses just before it. So let's see what Jesus says just before this. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. And do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And anyone takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And anyone takes away your goods, ask them to, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. That's measure for measure, isn't it? And if you do good to even those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, therefore, as your Father is merciful. Then it says, do not judge. And measure for measure will be given to you. Do you want to experience peace from your enemies? Give them peace. Do you want to start to experience love? This is the measure that we're supposed to be given back. Not because they deserve it, but because we also don't deserve it, but it has been given to us from God. So is there any good news for Moses and company as they stand on the east side of the Jordan River and look in? Yes. Moses is just giving that terrible pep talk. All right, guys, go in and take the land. But guess what? You're totally going to get comfortable. You're going to forget everything I've told you. You're going to start to worship other gods. God will then exile you, scatter you, and you will have to worship the no gods, the Gelulim in the other worlds, right? Let's go. Can we just stay here? If we're just going to go there and come right back, let's just, right? 
here's the good news. Deuteronomy continues in verse 29 of chapter 4. From there, in those distant lands where you're exiled, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and soul. And in your distress, when all these things have happened to you in time to come, you will return to the Lord your God and heed him. Because the Lord your God is a merciful God. And he will neither abandon you nor destroy you. And he will not forget the covenant with your ancestors that he swore to them. Is that measure for measure? It sure isn't, is it? Why doesn't God just ditch us in the land and say, okay, let's start with a new group of people. This, again, is the measure that we are called to measure back into this world. That God heaps mercy upon mercy and grace upon grace and forgiveness upon forgiveness and love upon love to a thousand generations. And we are called, measure by measure, that grace which you and I have received, we measure back out. And there will never be enough. It is beyond our understanding how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love really is. How forgiving God is, how loving God is, how merciful, how grace-filled. And you all just thank God we do not get what we deserve. This God of Israel that we experience fully through the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this God does not give us what we deserve. This God gives us so much more. I want to invite the team up to pray, and we want to now partake of one of the gifts that God has given us. All are welcome at this table. This table is open to all, as Jesus invites all of us here to this table, where we remember grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy and love upon love and forgiveness upon forgiveness given to us through the person of Jesus Christ. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed, and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Come, all who are hungry, all who are thirsty, the table is set. Measure for measure, may this week and every single day, by the grace and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, may we go out and share grace upon grace and love upon love and mercy upon mercy to all those we meet. And for those of us in this room feeling so far away from your grace and your love, Jesus, draw us close, overwhelm us, and remind us how deeply loved we are by you. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Amen.